entertainment, inspiration, and building community. This is the soundtrack of Savannah. This is your Savannah Philharmonic. Welcome to the Soundtrack of Savannah podcast brought to you by the Savannah Philharmonic. I'm Dee Daniels and I am so excited to welcome my next guest. Uh, I'm getting to to see her over Zoom, um, but we'll get to see her in person very soon. And so excited about the upcoming concert, Lord Nelson Mass, March 2nd, right around the corner. And with me, the award-winning composer uh, that we will all get to see and meet that night. So excited. Jessica French, thank you so much for being here, taking some time to sit down with us and give us a little bit of your story. Thanks so much, Dee. Thanks for having me. This is a wonderful opportunity. I'm really excited to be here. I'm not sure what I'm more excited about. Um, The fact that I have listened to uh, some of your music and now I get to to meet you in person um, and you're so talented. You're just so very talented. I don't know if I'm more excited about that or more excited for you that this is going to be your first time in Savannah, Georgia (laughs) to the concert. I think both. Yeah. Like I, I'm so excited. I've never been there and I hear it's amazing out there and I'm, and I hear there's sunshine, which I'm really looking forward to seeing. <laughs> I bet. So. Now you're in Seattle and that's where you call home. Yes. I've been here now. Gosh, I think it's been about 13 years. Um, I do love it here. I just during the winter time it the gloomy rain after a while gets old. So, you know, anytime I can migrate towards sunshine a little bit, I look forward to that. <laughs> Oh, no doubt. Well, we're we're uh, we're talking to the the meteorologist here uh, to get them ready for you, making sure we have as much sunshine as possible when Thank you, you. <laughs> when you come. I know um, <laughs> I, I want to talk about so many things, uh, you know, being a composer, you know, I feel like there's so much to that. There's so much um, that you bring to the table that it's, you know, it's almost too much to, to fit into like someone's bio because, you know, you have to have a love for music going in, uh, at an early age, I would imagine. And then, you know, there, there's this ability to be able to see things in a different way and, and put music together in a different way. And then there's the whole poetry of it, you know, that there's, there's that piece. Um, how do you describe, uh, being a composer and, and what, what does that look like for you if we break it down? Oh gosh, that's a great question. There, yeah. There's a lot of moving parts for sure. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, my love, like kind of what you mentioned, my love for music started at an early age. And so, uh, being able to, to make music, which, you know, besides composing, like I sang, I've been singing choral music since I was 10 years old. Um, I was an organist for a long time playing, singing. Um, those are, you know, big interests of mine. They always have been. Um, and I feel like composition has just been another, I feel like those have been the tools that end up leading to my composition that was not planned, but that's, it's like, it's kind of the culmination of all of those things in a weird way. And then to take poetry, like you said, or texts, whether they're sacred or secular, uh, and, and, and make music out of them. And then to hear other choirs or other voices bring the life to the music. I mean, there's so many cool parts to it that I just, it's wonderful and it's fun. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what it is, but um, there's a lot of parts to it. <laughs> right. Sure. The uh, the upcoming concert is is Lord Nelson Mass. It's March 2nd. 
um, at Georgia Southern University Armstrong Campus, uh, the Fine Arts Auditorium. A and that, that will be my first time at Georgia Southern University in, in that particular auditorium. And, you know, in talking to uh, so many people with the Savannah Philharmonic, uh, they're so excited to, to be, uh, be able to hold that there and, 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 and the acoustics and everything is, is really just on point. So I, I can't wait. You know, I would imagine location and venue is, is quite a big deal when it comes to the music that, that you write and compose. Uh, do you have a favorite uh, venue that you've performed in and is something that has been kind of monumental for you? Oh gosh, that's a great question. Yeah. I mean, I love reverberant spaces, but that's probably because I've grown up singing in cathedrals my whole life. Um, but, you know, concert halls are great, too. But, yeah, I think there's nothing worse than a dry room or a dry carpeted room. <laughs> um, you know, so we've all, you know, as composers, we had that experience where, you know, we had a performance, but it just the sound was zapped out of it because it was just there's not much there. So anything that's a nice, warm space. Um I'll be, I'm biased, but where I grew up was the Cathedral of the Madeline in Salt Lake City. And that is a, I think it's like seven seconds of reverb or more. And it's just, wow. I find it's almost too much because it's just, there's so much reverb, but at the same time, and that's where I began organ lessons. And just to hear that sound just resonate and just stay in the room for such a long time. Um, I love those kinds of things. So, but you know, I know that it's tricky depending on what kind of sound you want in the choir and all that. So Right. How do you even, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about you playing the organ. I'm also thinking about you singing because you are a soprano. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh -huh. And I'm We're thinking, also... I'm thinking about like you being in a space where there's this seven second, uh, you know, reverb that's going on. I, I mean, it reminds me of like, you know, the football stadium. Right. And it's like, I, I can't imagine singing in that space or performing in that space. How, how do you do that? How does that work? Oh, well, I think what I love about spaces like that is it, as someone said, it covers a lot of sins. <laughs> it, it's one of those things where like, you know, I mean, not that you, you you should do well, but it just, it it makes it feel more effortless than it already is. I mean, I remember the first time I played the organ in the cathedral and when I let off the chord and just hearing it just, you know, stay there. It's like, it, it, it's just, I don't know, there's something really thrilling about that. Um, so Having that experience, even at a young age, I was very lucky to have that because it's something I carry with me, I think. And so now I get to be on the receiving end and hearing other people, you know, do that um, is also really cool. Um, so, yeah, I think the space definitely makes a huge difference for sure. Well, I'm excited to see uh, the space at Georgia Southern and and see, you know, how all of that comes out. You know, I I wanted to talk a little bit about your upbringing. You were talking about, uh, you know, your upbringing and singing in these spaces and, and cathedrals and that sort of thing, which is just such a, a wonderful space to to have such music in. I mean, it's it's almost like once you hear music uh, of that caliber in, in that setting, you almost don't want to hear it not in that setting. I mean, it's like, it's really super special. Your, your upbringing, talk a little bit about that and, and how that has led to where you are in, in your career. Sure. Yeah. So I was very lucky to, 
Uh, I mean, I, my family's quite musical. My mom's a singer songwriter. It's really cool. Sure, her music is completely different than mine in genres. She's kind of folk, bluesy, um, alternative rock. And my oh, dad. Oh, she's my kind of girl. Okay, got it. Nice. Yeah. Well, she just released her latest album, so which is cool. It's on Spotify. <laughs> um, she's back at it again. And my dad and her met actually because his brothers they they had a band just called the Crazy Jane Band, and she auditioned. So it's just kind of cool, this, you know, these different connections of music so that I, you know, I know I've been exposed to music since before I was born, really. Uh, and my grandpa sang in the cathedral choir in that cathedral where I grew up, but he died before I was born. Um, and my other grandpa was an opera singer. I could go on and on. There's a lot of music there, you know, so I, I was lucky to already kind of have that. Um, but I started um, when my grandpa was playing the piano, actually, he was taking lessons from my, my grandma's friend, and I kind of gravitated toward it. I just started playing by ear. I would play like Beatles songs and other things that I was around, you know, and then people quickly, my mom was like, you need to start taking lessons. So that I started around age seven. And then I got into the Malin Choir School, which at first was just an after school program, like a lot of chorister programs. So we would rehearse like twice a week, you know, um, and then maybe sing once a month. But then their plan was to make it a full time co-ed choir school that's kind of modeled up for a lot of those choir schools in England, uh, like Westminster Cathedral and others. And so when I was in seventh grade, they founded the choir school. So I left my other school to go there. Um, and so suddenly it was like a very rigorous program. We'd have rehearsals daily. We'd have masses almost every other day. You know, so I was constantly surrounded by music at a very high level, you know, and mostly sacred music. Um, and that's where I suddenly heard, you know, you're talking about these these spaces that are so re reverberant, um, hearing the organ on a regular basis. Um, and, and in that space specifically was just mesmerizing. And then I just remember we did a recording once in the loft, which was across. Usually we sing on the other side of the church. And so I would hear it resonate. But then when we actually took a break, we were walking around up there and I got to see the organ console for the first time. And to see it's like four different keyboards, a keyboard for your feet, stops, all this stuff. I was just mesmerized and I wanted to start taking lessons, but I was so timid. I didn't want to ask the person that was teaching it because a friend of mine was taking lessons and I was like, I want to do that. And so he was very nice. He asked him for me. And so that's kind of how that began with the organ. And so as soon as I started lessons, I was I was hooked. And so I constantly was just learning all the repertoire I could. And so that's ended up, that's where I ended up going for a while was organ performance. Um, so I thought that was going to be my career. I thought I was going to be like a director of music at a cathedral or, um, you know, a concert organist, but things changed a bit. Um, and now I'm a composer. <laughs> so, uh, but I think just all of that, the stuff I grew up with, it really led to this point, um, which I'm very lucky to have had. So. I would imagine um, so much of that was foundational to be able to get to um, composing. I mean, you know, talk about the organ. I remember the first time that I fell in love with the organ was uh, at an African-American church that I attended and I watched the organist and just there was so much passion and yet I knew there was so much talent, but, you know, as a member of the audience, you can rarely see on the other side of the organ. So right, right. When, I, when I finally got to see the same thing, I thought I stood there and looked at, at all of this organ, just, I mean, and I yeah. thought, oh my gosh, uh, I felt like I was, you know, in a, in a, like, a top tier chemistry class. And I, yeah, I don't know. I just was like, what, what are, how do you even, with all of the things and the 
feet and the right. pedals and the levels and the tiers of keyboards. I'm just like, this is the switches and the. <laughs> yeah. And every organ's different. That's the other thing. So it's like, yeah, it's just, it's mind blowing how many parts there are to it, you know? So yeah, I, I agree with you. Like actually seeing it is a whole other level than just hearing it, you know? <laughs> Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I, I think about those times of, of hearing that music growing up and, and hearing, uh, spirituals and, and really, um, you know, tying that into going to church and, and taking that music home with you, you know, in your own way, in your heart. And, and, and you didn't forget the, the tune, you know, and, and it stayed with you. I would imagine that that left quite a similar type of impression on you to to then carry that with you uh, to the next thing. Absolutely. Um, and some of it I didn't really realize until later. So when I started composing, um, the teacher I was studying with, I still study with, you know, he was saying, your music is, is very modal, meaning it's, it's very church-like, you know, it, it sounds a lot like chant or like a lot of the pieces that I sang growing up in this environment. Um, and it wasn't something that I was like purposely saying, okay, now I'm going to make it sound like this. Like it was just kind of part of my language as I was learning how to compose. And now that I've, you know, kind of honed in my craft a bit more, I've realized that I think that's, it's because a lot of those pieces that I grew up with have stayed with me and they've inspired me. And I think it's like that language has kind of propelled how I, how I write music really. So uh, talk a little bit about something that we're going to hear actually on March 2nd, um, speaking of the, the spiritual foundation, uh, thy will be done. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I love it. I love it. I, I just, I mean, I, it's got so much meaning in itself and, and, and where it comes from. Uh, talk about your imprint on, on that and how, how you've translated that. In, in your own way and how we might hear it um, on, on the second, like, what will that, what will that be like? Sure. Yeah. So I, I was lucky to have had, that was a commission last year for a church in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. Um, they were commemorating uh, one of their choir members who had passed away during the pandemic and they couldn't have a funeral for him because that's when people couldn't, you know, meet. So it was kind of in memory of, um, and they wanted a setting of the Our Father um, and so I wanted it to be something very moving, you know, and powerful. Um, and sometimes I don't know where the music comes, comes from, you know, it's inspiration, I guess, but I, I just hope that the muse will visit and something will come out and luckily it did. Um, and so, yeah, it was originally for just organ and choir. Um, but when I was chatting with Paul Thornock, the, you know, who's the director of the chorus for the Philharmonic, uh, Savannah Philharmonic, um, he said, do you have any pieces for strings? And I said, well, I have one, but I, I want to do more because I'm suddenly obsessed for writing with strings. It's just so much fun. Um, and then I suggested, could I arrange this one? And he's like, yeah. And so I was just so excited. So I'm actually um, finishing the parts right now. I mean, it's written, but I'm, you know, making all the parts. But I, I, I'm just excited because it's one thing to write it for the organ, but then writing for strings takes it to a whole new level. And I'm able to just bring out some other colors and some other parts of the musical lines that I didn't earlier. And I, I'm just, I can't wait to hear it, you know, so it'll, it'll be a whole new level of it than what it originally was, I think. Right. You're going to be blown away hearing it like the rest of us. I have a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm just thrilled. So anyway, I, yeah, so that one's I'm really excited about because it'll be a new version of it, you know. Right. Yeah, no doubt. I'm glad you brought up colors because I want to talk about this this uh, ability that you have that um, I am intrigued, to say the least, about. And I want to make sure, am I saying it correctly? Uh, synesthesia? Is that? Yeah, synesthesia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is this a way that you see music? Is this uh, bringing in sort of what you're hearing and what you're seeing at the same time? And that's helping you to write things down. It, it, tell me about what this is. Yeah. So synesthesia is a, it's a cool thing. It's, it's basically a linking of senses. So certain composers have it, had it like Messiana is one of my favorite composers and he's one that had synesthesia, but there's different types, um, but the, the main one that's strongest for me is color and sound. So when I hear a certain note, it, I associate a color with it. I mean, it, it's more like if you imagine the color blue, you can imagine what it looks like in your head. It's not like the color actually comes in front of you. You know what I mean? It's just kind of, but it's an automatic thing. Like A is always green. So whenever I hear the note A, green appears. Um, but it also is neat with sonorities. So chords are a certain color different timbres of instruments are a different color. And so the more elements you add to it, um, it, it just depends on what it is. But like it, like writing that will be done for strings is going to sound, it'd be a different color for me than on the organ. Um, it's like a different shade, I guess, in a way of putting, putting it. Um, but it's been really fun with composition, especially with a text, because words have color as well for me. So certain words that I want to highlight that are more important um, I'll usually gravitate toward a key center or a certain notes that are the same color in my mind um, and write that. So I know people can't see the specific colors that I see, but my hope is that they'll at least feel my music kind of it's kind of like a kaleidoscope. It'll be in one key for a while and then it'll suddenly morph into another. So you'll kind of at least hear those shifts. And so my hope is that that's what people will at least experience it. There, there is a change of mood here, you know. Um, they just won't see the specific colors I see. So that's kind of in a nutshell what it is, but it's something I've had all my life. I remember as, there, as early as I can remember, I remember hearing a note B, um, the fan in our room or something was the note B. And I went to the piano and plunked it out and there it was, and it was blue. <laughs> and I know that sounds really strange, but like as a kid, I thought everybody did that, you know, and then you learn later on that, no, not everyone has that. So, so it's, it's fun to work with. Yeah, that's I, I and and I I don't know who I talked to about getting this ability, but I want to. <laughs> I would like to have that. Um, that I, I just I mean, you know, I think it's it's so interesting how personal music is um, for everyone. You know, it it's it's such a personal journey and it's such a personal interpretation. Um, mm -hmm. so to be able to, uh, be in a group of people in an auditorium, in a, in a cathedral at a concert, doesn't matter where, and mm -hmm. yet to be still having a personal experience, um, is just so amazing to me. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's just interesting that, that not only are you, are you having your own personal experience, you're also seeing colors and, and. I would imagine that also comes across as visually almost very flowing. Like, mm -hmm. you know, is that is that something that that you sort of see with the pictures? Not like slides of colors, but more, you know, not like oh, blue, then it's green, then it's. But I would imagine as you work it all together, there's mm -hmm. a. Flow. 
That's absolutely correct. It's more of a flow because people will say, is it overwhelming? You know, and I, I mean, it kind of is, but really certain things that are more important, like just things that I notice more will will be more prominent. And then, yes, it is, you know, like a kaleidoscope. It just, it's like those things, yeah, those kaleidoscopes where you turn it and it just flows into the next thing. It's, it's, it's more like that than, yeah, like you said, here's one color and then here's the next slide, you know? Um, so especially that's why I try to make the transitions in my music um, good transitions, you know? So it feels like it's flowing into the next section instead of like, oh, we're now here, you know? And it's kind of awkward and sudden. So. Right. Right. Um, I, I, I always hate to, to stop the car and turn around at all, but our listeners would be very upset with me if I did not go back and ask you, you brought up the Beatles and, um, <laughs> and yeah. not that long ago, you know, we had our classical mystery tour, uh, happen with, uh, the Beatles tribute that played along with the, the Philharmonic. And it was unbelievable. Everyone had such a great time. Um, do you have a favorite Beatles song? Because that was the big discussion in town. Uh, you know, what's everyone's favorite? Uh, Hey Jude was, was certainly the, the big bang. I'll tell you that, uh, phones were lit up. People were on their feet. There was a whole thing. Do you have a favorite? That's a great question. I do love Hey Jude. And my mom used to sing that to me, like before I go to bed, actually, I remember when I was little, um, but, and I love it. Um, but I think Let It Be is my favorite. Mm -hmm. And that's actually the song that I, that album, because I remember when I was plunking stuff out on the piano, it was that song that I went to the piano on. And and it was pink. That's if you want to know the color, because it's in C major. And I remember thinking, oh, I like this pink song. Um, and it just, yeah, I still listen to it. I, it's just, it's it's a great song. And I love the Beatles. So <laughs> that's it really never, cool. It never, they never get old. I mean, it just. Oh, no, they don't. You can you can hear those songs, you know, over and over. And mm -hmm. and most of the time it brings back a memory, which is is always fun. Um, and, mm -hmm. and then for you, it brings up a color and a memory. <laughs> yeah. And then it's a cool side fact. When I graduated uh, from Yale in grad school, um, every year they have people that get their honorary doctorate. And that year, Paul McCartney was was one of them. And my, you know, my mom loves the Beatles. And so it was a surprise until that day. And so for her and for me, it was just the coolest moment, you know, so he, and he walked right by me. I didn't get to say hi to him, but it was just how neat that was. <laughs> totally. So, That's amazing. Yeah. I, I love yeah. that story. That's great. That, you know? <laughs> we're, we're only like, what, you're only a, a degree away uh, for playing the game. And, and now with me knowing you, we're two degrees. I'm two degrees. I love it. It's uh, That's right. That's right. That's a lot of fun. That's great. Um, yeah. You were talking about uh, early on that you were playing by ear and and um, and 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 I love your phrase of plunking things out on the piano. My mom is a piano player and plays by ear uh, and has always played by ear my entire life. Um, mm -hmm. And and she passed a little bit of that by ear sort of talent down to me. And I, I picked up the bass guitar and sort of did some things here and there. And and I I love how natural that is for so many people that, and if you lean into it, you know, how much you can grow that, how was it transitioning from playing by ear to, to learning to read music? And, you know, was that really difficult? And, and what does that process look like? I know we have a lot of kids in our education programs that uh, may have some musical ability coming to the table and think, I'll never be able to read music. That, that seems so crazy. What was it like for you? That's a good question. I, I do remember it was a 
it was a tough transition for me because yeah, like I, I, lo- it was easier to just like I would hear stuff and then figure it out on the piano and come to my lessons. And I remember my teacher was like, okay, but you need to learn what the bass clef is. I was like, I hate the bass clef. This is hard. Like I, you know, right hand, the treble clef was pretty easy because I, once I got it, but adding them together and yeah, I, I was pretty resistant to it for a while and it took, it took some time. But once I, I feel like reading music was that key that unlocks the next level, you know, because once you learn the code kind of, you know, how, why the music is doing what it's doing, then it, you know, it helped me to do so many other things that I could do. Like singing choral music, we had to read music, you know, uh, a lot of that isn't by ear, um, even though I kind of wish some of it could be. But, um, but yeah, I do remember it was tough at first. But once I kind of got the process, then I'm like, okay, I, I like this now. I can do this. <laughs> No doubt. Do you still sit down and, and play without reading music sometimes or? You know, it's funny. I don't really do this. It's funny. Like as a kid, that was what I did all the time. And now I, I really don't as much. Um, it's more lately, especially for composition. If I hear a melody in my head or an idea, then I'll sing it into my phone. I love that voice memos app. Right. Because you know, yeah, it's the best thing. Like I get ideas at the weirdest times, like if I'm blow drying my hair or I'm taking a walk or I'm doing the laundry, those mindless tasks are usually when, I mean, I've read this, like your brain is actually, you're, you're tuned into those, those ideas because you're more relaxed and the ego gets out of the way and you're just, you know, open to receiving ideas. And um, they're the funniest moments, but some of the most profound parts of my music, I feel like come from those moments, a little seed there and I'll sing it into my phone so I don't forget um, sometimes I'll I'll go to the piano and play it through, but a lot of it is maybe because singing has been something I've done for so long. Singing seems to seems to be the uh, the go to for me lately. That first. totally makes sense. Uh, when when you're when you're composing, and let's talk a little bit about that process for a second. Um, what what does that look like, and is there a sort of like an average time that that takes you, or is it just kind of dependent on the piece and and sort of who who it's for and and how much background maybe is going going into it what what's the process look like yeah great question i think um i love to give myself extra time when i can because sometimes um you know someone will give me a text and say we want a 3 minute piece on this text for choir and organ or something um and sometimes the idea just hasn't come yet you know and it takes longer um and so then i start to pan i don't panic but you know especially if you have a deadline you know um Lately, because I'm taking more commissions, I have shorter time periods. So I try my best to get those ideas to flow. And um, it just, it does. It depends on how long the piece is, what the forces are, whether it's for strings or organ or, you know, any any of those things. Um, I usually give myself a few days. If it's a text, I first memorize the text. I don't even try to write any music because otherwise I think it's forced. And I want it to organically come out, whatever the text is saying that's and especially speaking the words the rhythm of the text and how it flows from one line to the next that's usually where the ideas come from i find that if i just go to the piano and say okay i'm going to write it in this key uh with these notes you know it 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 it's not natural and it's like it feels forced so i really try to start from the very beginning and then and then it's you know once i have ideas then i put them into i use finale one of the computer software programs um and then it's kind of a back and forth between seeing ideas in my phone and going to the keyboard. And, you know, it's like those three things and kind of just putting them together. Um, that's kind of how it morphs into a piece. Um, 
And it, yeah, I, I feel like two months, three months will be ideal, but I don't always have that much time. Sometimes I only have a month or a month and a half and I just have to do it quickly. <laughs> so sometimes you got to turn it out. Yeah, no, I exactly, you I, know, and the more, the more stressed out I am, the less I can do that easily. So I try my best to be like, okay, I, I can do this. I just have to chill and, you know, but it's, I can do it sometimes. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, how our body sort of, uh, you know, can work against us if we are in, not in the in the right headspace and and heart space, you know. Uh, and you're trying yeah. to create something. I mean, you know, I think I think Savannah is such a creator's town, and I, I would imagine Seattle's very similar in a, in a lot of ways. And and so there's so much creativity um, that goes on here, and you know, it's difficult to be creative and and sort of open the that valve and 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 let that flow if you're not in a in a good space and i feel like we hear so many people around here especially talk about that and and i would imagine that's obviously so true for you too it is a, just a, it reminded me of something recent i wrote a piece um for the south bend chamber singers in indiana uh, and it's a setting of there is no rose it's usually you know for advent um or Christmas. And I, it was one of those where the deadline was approaching and I, I only had two weeks left and I was getting close, but I was really stuck on that final section. And then actually I went to a Peter Gabriel concert, which is another one of my all-time favorites and my mom's all-time favorites. And so she and I, and my husband and my dad went there and he had a, um, someone, I think his name is John Metcalf. He does a lot of the string writing for, for him and Coldplay and others. And I, it, the concert opened with the string thing. And I just was, I was just mesmerized by it. And I, I, and then later on the next day, I had all this inspiration flowing for the piece. It was just for choir. It's just acapella. But I wrote like two minutes extra of the piece that was not planned. I was just going to end it. And my mom said to me, she's like, I think you were just really inspired by that concert. But, and I'm like, I think you're right. So, but just the fact that I was, I, I, I knew that night I couldn't write anything. I had, I had a deadline, but I, I'm going to just take the night off and, and enjoy this concert. And that's when the ideas really flowed. So yeah, it shows me that like, the more you're open and 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 trusting that it, it'll happen, it that's actually better. <laughs> no doubt. That's super powerful. Uh, you know, we hear those stories so much, especially mm -hmm. here on this podcast. But I mean, to be able to um, have these moments at the Philharmonic concerts where, <laughs> you know, young people doesn't matter the age actually sitting and watching these artists and musicians and creators and and hearing what the composers have put down and 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 seeing the arrangement and feeling the arrangement and just all of those things for that to be so inspiring that's the whole idea for it to inspire you in such a way that it does open up something inside of you as mm -hmm. someone who's taking it in and and really you know pushes you to do the to, you know, produce the thing that you had going on inside of you already. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Right. Exactly. I mean, I think that's why I'm, you know, I'm so happy that I'm composing now. And I think about when I was a chorister and singing those pieces, like they inspired me and then later on, you know, inspired me to write my own music. And I'm hoping that I see other, I see younger people now doing things like that because they're so inspired by the music they, they hear or they sing or they play. Um, and it's just neat to see that happen. 
No doubt. Well, uh, everyone's so excited to uh, have you in Savannah. Savannah's excited to have you for the first time. Um, so uh, I have a list of great restaurants you should go to and all the things if uh, if you would like that. And and certainly Perfect. I think this is going to be great. What are you looking forward to most as far as uh, Lord Nelson Mass on, on March the 2nd? Do you have a, a moment that you're really looking forward to? Well, I think, I mean, for one, I'm just really excited. Um, I, I'm really grateful to Paul Thornock because he's programming just not just one of my pieces, but three of them. Um, and he really knows how to bring out the edgy stuff of, of my music, of anyone's music. He, I think he just, he takes the time to find, you know, what's inspiring about the music. We're talking about inspiration. And um, so I think that's that's probably what I'm most excited about is to hear that come through with the Savannah Philharmonic, which is all, already amazing in itself. Um, and to hear, hear that in that space. Um, I think that's, that's what I'm most excited about. So I, I think it's going to be amazing. And I know it's going to be moving and inspiring and all the things. Uh, Lord Nelson Mass is March 2nd, Georgia Southern University. And of course, uh, we're excited that we get to see Jessica French in person. So um, I, I'm, I can't wait to, to meet you and, and, and see you in person and, and see all of this come to life. Uh, I think it's going to be an amazing night. Thank you very much for, for coming and being a part of it in person. And thank you for what you've provided and, and all of your gifts and talents that you've brought to the table. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's a great opportunity for sure. Welcome to your open invitation to enjoy music with your friends and neighbors. This is the Soundtrack of Savannah. You can also show support by sponsoring a season concert or our Fill the Neighborhood series or annual Fill the Park event in Forsyth Park. You can even sponsor one of our talented musicians or host them in your home during the season. Planned giving from individual community partners to corporate sponsorships creates opportunities for the Savannah Philharmonic to grow and also allows you to leave a legacy, ensuring the organization continues to entertain, inspire, and build community for generations to come. For more information on sponsorship levels and a full list of concerts and community events, please visit us at savannahphilharmonic.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to the Sav Phil podcast you're listening to right now so you can be in the know, behind the scenes, and center stage at your Savannah Philharmonic.